Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. I've been a listener for a while now, and I've been amazed at my connection to others' stories, so I wanted to share my own experience. I grew up in a Mormon household in a suburb of Houston, Texas. My parents were both from families that immigrated from the U.S. We lived the typical LDS life of going to church most days and having my identity of being Mormon my whole life. Something about my mother is that she is very connected to spirits and what some would call the other side. She would know when someone was born or when they died, seeing angels or demons, all of which she would frame through a Mormon point of view. I inherited many of her gifts. From a young age, I could see things that weren't there or feel the aura of a person or place, whether it be a good or bad thing. Being connected to things made me want to study more and learn whatever I could. I read the Bible, Book of Mormon, Koran, all kinds of other books, anything occult, all for the purpose of learning more about this and any other worlds. It's in my high school years that I had some of my most interesting experiences. I was dating a girl that wasn't Mormon during my junior and senior years. She lived about 10 to 15 minutes across town. The part of Houston I lived in was a very dense part of the woods where houses were built on side streets. The town had two major streets that cut through the whole city. It was over one weekend that this story took place. I would sometimes stay at my girlfriend's house as we watched movies, which were our usual Friday and Saturday night plans. This girl's parents liked me at the time, so I would sometimes fall asleep on their couch during the day or late afternoons. They made sure to always wake me up near 11 so that I could get home before midnight and not upset my mother for being out late. This night was a normal night, like any other. We had dinner with her family and then went to watch TV or a movie on the couch. I fell asleep on that couch expecting to be woken up by my girlfriend's parents telling me that it was time to leave. This time, however, was different. I wasn't awoken by her parents, but by the TV. It was the sound of one of those late-night commercials. I checked my phone to see what time it was, and the screen showed 3.03 a.m. Along with that time, I saw a couple of missed calls and texts from my mother asking where I was. I was shocked at the time, and started to panic because I knew that I would be in trouble. I said goodnight to my girlfriend and went out to my small two-door Honda out front. It was when I stepped outside that I felt something different, like a cold chill in the air 
that I couldn't place where it was coming from. I could feel something or someone watching me. In the past, I was told by my mother to never stay up past 3 a.m. because that was the witching hour. She had experienced weird happenings at that time before. During past times when I had stayed up that late, I felt and saw unexplainable things. This time, walking to my car, I felt something different, something dark. I sent my mom a quick text, letting her know where I was and that I was sorry for being late. When I lifted my head, I saw that in my car, it was pitch black. This was weird because my girlfriend's house had streetlights pretty close. So normally, I could see into my car as the night light peered in. I opened my car door and felt that sense that I wasn't alone. I looked in the back seat with my phone light and I saw nothing. I got into my car and I started to drive back to my house through the woods. Only a few seconds later, I knew something or someone was in that back seat. I could hear the sound of someone moving around and the breath of that person behind me. I did not want to look back knowing that I would see something that I didn't want to. My curious eye did check the rearview mirror, and that's when I saw the black silhouette of somebody in the car. The scary thing was, I could only see their smile, this over-exaggerated grin showing a mouthful of white teeth. Now I was scared and worried that I might not make it home I grabbed my phone and I called my mom. She picked up in a bit of a fuss and I quickly filled her in on that night's events. She could tell how worried I was. I begged her to stay on the phone until I could get home and be waiting outside. Tree after tree passed and I could feel the creature's breath on my neck. I looked back once quickly, but nothing was there. Then my eye again went to the mirror, and I saw that figure, all in shadow, with its devilish grin. This time my hand gripped tight on the steering wheel, praying in my head that this night would be okay. I started to sing some kind of Christian song that I thought would help. I was taught in church that music can invite good energies and spirits. Tree after tree went by, and... I finally pulled onto my street after what felt like a lifetime. I then passed down a few houses until I found my home on the left and I pulled in. My mother was there waiting just as I had asked. I swung open the car door and rushed to greet her. Once I was at my house, I felt safe. Like that cold chill that had been with me was over and I was okay. My mom did not want to talk about what happened that night, saying that when you talk about something, you can give it power or energy. It was the next day during the afternoon that my mother told me this. She had actually seen somebody in my back seat when I pulled in, but as the car lights flashed as I turned into the driveway, the figure was gone. She even checked the car after I had gone inside, looking both in and out, and she knew someone could not have gotten out because to get in or out of the back seat, you had to pull the driver's seat forward. It's been years, and I've never seen this dark silhouette of a creature with that chilling grin again. I have since left the church and have purposely shut myself off from much of that other world, 
it was hard for me to write this story because I know that it gives energy to a world that I no longer chase after. I will say, though, after that event, I always set an alarm to make sure that I'm never late. I've hardly experienced anything paranormal. However, I am an identical twin, and I have an experience that is pretty close to being paranormal. Identical twins start as one embryo, and then split and become two after fertilization, meaning we are literally part of each other. It's pretty crazy when you think about it, and I often tell people that having an identical twin is real-life magic. Everyone, including my parents and grandparents, say that we had our own language growing up, and oftentimes they would see us looking at each other, and then one of us would just nod and say, okay, as if we were speaking to each other telepathically. They say it was very creepy. I don't remember this, but I'm not surprised. I know our connection used to be outrageously strong. The most quote-unquote creepy thing that I can actually remember happening was when my sister and I were probably around 12 years old. We were still sharing a room at this point. Oftentimes, I was a very frightened child. I suffered from an overactive imagination as well as sleep paralysis so the thought of bedtime was typically very stressful for me. I asked her if I could sleep in bed with her, as I often did. She was a little annoyed, but still agreed. So I crawled up onto the top bunk with her, and we laid back to back. I was so relieved, because that meant I could actually get some much-needed good sleep. I fell asleep fast, and I started dreaming instantly. I was rollerblading and having a blast, of course. I couldn't see her, but I knew my sister was rollerblading with me too, because we were inseparable. And not to mention, I could feel her there. I start to pick up the pace, when all of a sudden, I accidentally ran into her and fell down. I jumped so much that I woke myself up. Without thinking, I said to my sister, Oh, sorry, I was dreaming and jumped myself awake. My sister then says, What do you mean? I was the one that jumped. I reply, Um, no, I definitely jumped. I fell down in my dream. Then she says, Really? I had a dream that we were rollerblading and we hit each other. I was silent for a minute, kind of stunned and needless to say, my initial instinct was to say that she was full of shit. But how could she have known my dream? There's just no other explanation. I believe that we entered each other's dream or somehow shared it together, whatever you want to call it. It never happened again, sadly. 
and even though my sister and I still have a connection, I do believe it has weakened with age and distance. We are now 32 and live over 800 miles apart. I'm not going to lie, I sometimes cry just knowing that we aren't that close anymore. But I still feel privileged to share what we have. This may not seem like a crazy paranormal story to some, but it's all I've got and I wanted to share. I'm interested to know if there are any other twins out there who have traveled together in their dreams. I wasn't planning on sharing anything that I've experienced, but after listening to several episodes where people talk about their dreams, I think I'm convinced. To start, know that stuff like this is completely normal in my family. It's common knowledge that women in my family and my mom's side of the family are at least a little bit psychic. For an example, when I was 12 years old, I had my first ever seizure. I was in the hospital and my parents hadn't even told my older sisters yet when my aunt called to ask if I was okay. My first solid memory of my dreams being more than just dreams was when I was about six or seven years old. It was Easter Sunday and in my dream I had gone downstairs in the morning to find that my Easter basket was still sitting on the kitchen table. My mom used to hide the basket for me to find every single year, but that year she had forgotten. When I woke up, the basket was exactly where it had been in my dream. Now recently, I've had more of these dreams than usual. It started with me dreaming that two of my friend's kids were sick, so I sent a message in the group chat that we share to check on their kids. Her two daughters, were running fevers. Another involved someone in my family being pregnant, though in the dream, the person who was pregnant could not get pregnant, so I initially brushed it off. Except that I had this dream for a week straight. So I asked my mom if she knew anyone in the family that could be pregnant. No. I asked my sister who could still have kids. Nobody. And it wasn't me. My mom pointed out that it could be one of my cousins. Her side of the family has a group text thread with all of her siblings and their kids, and I'm talking about 20 people. My mom had just added me to it, right before the dream started. Being that this kind of thing is normal for that side of the family, I just asked in the thread. I said, okay, who's pregnant? I've been having this dream every night for a week, and it didn't start until after I was added here. After some joking and back and forth between uncles and older family members who couldn't have kids, a cousin I have literally seen twice in my entire life says, it's his wife. They were only eight weeks in and had literally just found out. My most recent one involved my dad. He had surgery to remove a skin cancer from his temple, and the doctor had told him to be careful about lying down and sitting up for a while, 
as the strain could cause him to bleed since he's 72 years old. I had a dream that my mom, my dad, and I were in the ER. My dad looked like he had the crap beat out of him. His eyes were swollen shut and purple, bruises on his face, scratches. He looked really bad. Two nights later, my mom called me. She and my dad were in the ER. I described my dad's face from my dream, and my mom didn't even sound surprised. She just said, Oh, you had a dream? Yeah, that's what he looks like. She sent me a picture. Dad looked exactly like my dream. He's okay now. He just strained a little too hard, and because the bleeding was near his face, it looked much worse than it really was. I joke about these dreams with my husband as well. He likes to say my stats are five for seven on these dreams, meaning I've only been wrong twice. And I'm okay with that because the two that I was wrong about involved people dying. Anyway, something that kind of prompted me to write this all out for y'all, I was listening to episode 42 where you talk about taking the haunted dolls to Skinwalker Ranch. Something deep in my gut wanted me to tell you to please, please be careful. Don't forget to cleanse your energies before going home and don't ignore any bad gut feelings. Have fun though. My parents used to dismiss the things I told them I saw or felt, and so over time, I stopped being so open to the encounters I experienced. Until 2012, when I got into a really bad case of depression and panic attacks. When I would have panic attacks, I would almost feel like it wasn't myself speaking, or as if I had no control over my actions and the things I said. I don't know if you can blame it on the illness, but I felt in my heart that something wasn't right, and it wasn't that simple. I engaged in self-destructive behavior, hiding it from everyone, in the hopes of letting out all those horrible feelings that were inside me. You see, I had never thought of doing anything like that ever before, and adding to the feeling that something else was kind of controlling me, I was extremely desperate. I have a cousin who is into Umbanda, an African religion really popular in Brazil, while the rest of my family is more into Spiritism, Kardec, and those sort of things. This cousin came to me one day and said that she wanted me to come over and go with her to the Tejero, the Umbanda place. So, seeing no other option to relieve my sorrow, I went with her, but I had not given her many details about what was going on with me, only that I was taking medication and wasn't well. When we got there, I immediately began to feel weird, lightheaded, and funny. We got in line to talk to one of the mediums and waited. In Umbanda, there are many mediums that incorporate the entities with much respect in order to talk to people and bring them hope or comfort. They usually give advice about life and our problems 
and in the end, they bless us and take all the negative energy out of us. Well, let's just say I wasn't ready for what happened to me there. When they called my name, I entered the room and started talking to the caboclo, who is an indigenous person known for their power and strength. He immediately started to talk about things that no one else knew was going on with me, because I had not talked to my parents or anyone in such detail. He asked if it was okay to call for help from his fellow entities, and being in the state that I was in, I just nodded and stood there. He called two exes, entities known for being able to cross between the good and the bad realm. They usually do the nastier work, like taking the negative spirits to where they belong, and things like that. People usually think exes are bad entities, but they are just as good as all the others. They just have other tasks to manage. So he called them, and when they saw me, they said that they had seen me harming myself and that they knew everything I was going through. They said that my boyfriend's ex had done nasty work against me in order to make my life miserable. They said she went to a cemetery, dug up a skull, and put all sorts of shit inside it with the intention to fuck me up. I was flabbergasted. I hadn't told anyone about the problems I was having with my boyfriend's ex, and I had no idea she was into that sort of thing, which my boyfriend later confirmed when I asked him. Not only that, they said that the poor person she took the skull from wanted to come over and talk to me. I just nodded in pure shock and waited. The medium then received the spirit, and the only thing he could do was cry and tell me that he was extremely sorry for what he had done to me because he had no other choice than to do what he was told. I cried, as did everyone else around me, and the mediums helped him cross over and left me instructions to make my life okay again, like going to church, lighting up a white candle, praying at night, and so on. After that day, I began to feel much better. I didn't have that many panic attacks anymore, and I felt I was much more in control of myself. I started going to therapy, began another medication that suited me better, and recovered from that. I am very grateful to my cousin for taking me there and grateful for the caboclo that helped me that day. Even though I did not believe in those things and it wasn't my religion, the things they said could not have been known by anyone else other than me. From two to seven years old, I lived with my parents in a trailer. When I was about five, my mom handed me a stack of books and asked me to put them in my parents' bedroom. As I entered the doorway, I felt a large hand on the center of my back. I was pushed. 
I immediately ran and told my parents, who I later learned had been hearing scratching and voices all night. My dad went into the bedroom and screamed that whatever was in there could mess with him all that it wanted, but that my mom and I were off limits. My dad blamed himself for the rest of his life for all of this. Shortly before this started, he came home with a broken jaw and said that he had gotten in a fight at a bar. He told me later that this person claimed to have knowledge in dark magic and he felt a hex was placed on our family. After I was pushed, everything escalated to an extreme. We began all sleeping in the same room. My parents would take shifts, watching while the other slept. My dad came in from the kitchen one morning with a bloody and bruised nose, claiming he had just been hit. Our dogs would bark at what seemed like nothing with their hair standing straight up. Walking to the bathroom one night, I saw what looked like my mother, who was working an overnight shift. I remembered that she was actually at work and it felt like my blood ran cold. I had a gut feeling that I needed to pretend that I hadn't seen it, and I continued into the bathroom. On the way back, I saw this dark figure where what looked like my mom had once stood. I went back to the room we were staying in and I told my dad. We didn't leave the room until the next morning. That next morning, while my mom was in the shower, we heard her scream. She said the water turned black and there was J-K-L-M-N-O-P written in the fog of the mirror. A few months later, my mom was shoveling snow off of our porch and I was playing outside. I watched her get lifted about a foot off of the ground, then fall off the porch. I stayed with my grandparents for the next few weeks. During that time, they hired a team of investigators. My parents' voices appeared on the recordings, but to this day, they professed that they were silent. They only texted each other, and their phone volume was off. We eventually flew in a paranormal investigator and medium from California, Tom Durand. He did some digging and saw that our trailer park was built on a native burial ground and that despite our presence on their land, they were trying to protect us from this entity that had been tormenting us. He said a minor demon had been summoned by somebody. This is what led my dad to believe that it was the man that he had gotten into a fight with. We were told to bury an offering of tobacco in the north, east, south, and west corners of our property and to have the house blessed. Two days later, purple flowers had grown in those corners. The home was blessed, and we moved shortly after. It's been 15 years since we left that place, and I still have dreams that I'm a child at that home. I keep hearing voices saying, Come home, little girl, we miss you. This isn't everything that happened, just the major events. To explain everything, this would be a very long story. I was a fearful child, 
and there were many nights that I did not sleep through. When I would wake up in the middle of the night, I would go down the hall to my parents' room. To get into bed, I would slowly nudge my mother so as to not wake her and find a place between her and the edge of the bed. There was one night in particular that I will never forget. After I slowly nudged my way into the warm space beside my mom, I peered at the end of the bed. At the end of the bed stood an armoire made of dark wood. I then saw a figure made of static materialize right in front of it. It was some vaudevillain creation. It was marching to some unheard tune. It was staring at me with its empty eye sockets. I hid my face in the sheets and rubbed my eyes, waiting for the image that I must have conjured to disappear. When I re-emerged from the safety of the sheets, the figure remained. It was wearing a top hat and looked like it was grinding a boxed instrument of some sort. I even think it had a monkey on its shoulder. It marched and marched, but I soon realized that it never came closer. Although the image was frightening, it was just that, an image, an image created from dark static clouds. I'm not sure if it was after that particular incident or not, but I have spent most of my life telling myself that ghosts aren't real because I prefer to sleep at night. Now, don't get me wrong, I love spooky stuff, but when it comes to real life, I would rather it stay ordinary. With all that in mind, I want to tell you about the time I got spooked, and it definitely wasn't some childhood tulpa. It must have been around 2010, and I was soon to graduate from college. I was dating a guy from the next town over, and his sister's friends claimed to have had a paranormal experience on this walking trail that went through a couple of neighborhoods. The trail was supposedly an old battleground where many had died. They claimed that the ground was covered with fog one night, and there were little lights crawling beneath the fog. When they shed their cell phone lights on it, nothing was there. I'm a skeptic, and I love proving people wrong. So we had to go out there to see if the same thing could be recreated. For all you history buffs out there, It must have been around where the Battle of Guilford Courthouse took place, as we were in Greensboro, North Carolina. So my boyfriend and I went out there with his brother, sister, and a few of their mutual friends. We parked by some residential houses and made our way to the trail. It was bright out there because of the full moon, but when we entered the trail, I saw that the sky above was fully covered with trees. The trees made a dome shape over the trail, but in the distance, you could see the light of the moon where the trees cleared next to the lake. I was slightly unsettled by the darkness of the trail, but we had flashlights, and there were so many of us that it wasn't too hard to relax. Nothing was going to happen anyway, right? As we made our way down the trail... We joked and laughed and talked a little about the history of the area. It was very quiet that night, 
and we could only hear the sounds of our footsteps and voices as we made our way to the clearing. Once we reached the clearing, I was relieved to be standing in the brightness of the moonlight. I gazed at the lake and told everyone that I knew nothing was going to happen, but looking at this lake was worth it. Disappointed, we all made our way back down the trail. One of our friends would not accept that nothing had happened. He started calling out to whatever spirits to reveal themselves. He was definitely creating a spectacle. Eventually, in a voice like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, he bellowed, Show yourselves. He yelled this many times with a stick he had procured from the forest surrounding us. We all laughed as he let out an exhausted sigh. Soon after, behind him, closer to the clearing, a shadow quickly moved across the path. This was a little too close for comfort, so we started picking up the pace. As we moved closer to the exit, the sound of a large tree branch snapping reverberated around us. This was the first noise we had heard from the forest all night. It wasn't just a twig either. It didn't even sound like an animal had snapped it, as it sounded like quite a large tree branch had been snapped in two. This snap had to be done by a human. I cannot stress enough how quiet it had been on the walk to the lake. And now, it felt like the woods were coming alive, as requested. Nearing the exit of the trail, we looked back to see if anything more was going to happen. And as I looked into the forest, I could see a pale blue light floating toward me. I am used to seeing lightning bugs, but this wasn't yellow, and it wasn't blinking. I stared at it in disbelief, as I had not seen any lightning bugs around this whole time. I was waiting for it to blink, because surely it had to blink. I mean, it wasn't yellow, but there's got to be other kinds of lightning bugs, right? The tension increased as it floated toward me. It got closer and closer, and then it just went out, disappeared. That was all the proof I needed to get out of there. This forest path was desolate. There were no sounds, no shadows, and no insects the whole way to the clearing, and it was almost summer. When our friend called out, something answered. Although this wasn't the spookiest thing that ever happened, it proved to me that if you believe in something, it will reveal itself. I am definitely back to the mantra that ghosts aren't real. I must keep that stuff out of my head. There's no telling what else is out there. I've only told a few people this story because nobody understands how I was raised. I too was raised in a Pentecostal family. I was the granddaughter of a minister, and he was the third generation Pentecostal minister. My grandfather, great-grandfather, and his father had all been ministers. That's just some of the history on how far back into the Pentecostal religion my family goes. We weren't the snake-loving ones, 
But we were raised to wear no jewelry. We couldn't go to dances. Basically nothing fun. Here's the day that changed me forever. And I swear to you that what I'm going to say 100% happened. And I have absolutely no explanation for what I saw. My papa was preaching. And the boy behind me at the time, only a year older than myself, started to growl. Not like a dog's growl, but this deep, guttural growl. Then he started cussing and spitting and calling my papa names. The voice coming out of him was not human. All of the elders at the church ran and started laying hands with anointing oil on him and praying. The rest of the church all got on our knees and started to pray. As we were all down praying, I hear a voice say, Look up at him. I didn't want to, but the voice said it again. Look at this. So I slowly looked up. I looked up at Scott. It wasn't him anymore. His face had contorted into this weird, swollen, red face with all these blisters welling up on him. He was screaming in this deep, demonic voice and started spewing this slimy stuff. This went on for probably a good 45 minutes to an hour. Then, all at once, it stopped. Everything went quiet. The elders of the church had been on him with their weight holding him down, and they all let go. It was over, and Scott's face was still red, but the swelling and the blisters were gone. The voice was gone, and all the shaking had stopped. There was no way he could have done that to his face himself, or the voice that was coming out of him. I no longer attend church, and my grandfather has passed away. He was the last of our family to be a minister. I will never, ever in my life forget that day. I'm 56 now, and that happened when I was 13. And it is just as vivid to me today as it was the day that it happened. Scott didn't know any of what happened to him, but I do. And it has always been the most terrifying event in my life. There are people who say this stuff isn't real, but trust me, it is very real and something that I hope nobody ever has to experience. Hope you guys enjoyed last week's special episode of Odd Trails with our guest, Timothy Renner from Strange Familiars. I learned a lot talking to him. He had some creepy stories to share, and I'm excited to dive into more of his podcast. I particularly liked how he refers to all of these beings, cryptids, entities as others. It's a nice generalization, even though um, I guess we shouldn't generalize things and people and maybe they don't they don't appreciate that but <laughs> we're grouping them all into the others that's what i think we should do i would say it's rather all-encompassing and inclusive it's other than human perhaps there's a lot of stuff that we don't we can't really piece together is rabbit man human who knows yeah i kind of think that the rabbit man is really just like a weird secret ancient society that's been around for years 
of grown men that dress as rabbits and terrorize children. <laughs> I think that's probably the most reasonable explanation. I've also heard that it could be a foreshadowing of sorts. It could be representing something else that we just haven't fully uncovered yet. Yeah, or it could be the devil. Could just be the dang old devil. Could be. Damn old Lucifer. <laughs> now, yeah, speaking of the devil, the Pentecostal story that we got this week from Tammy was really cool to hear. It's nice to hear from people with similar upbringings to myself, though her story comes from years and years prior to my birth. Uh, but the seeing weird things happen in front of your eyes at a Pentecostal church, it's not out of the ordinary. I've seen some weird stuff, heard some weird stuff. Some people have told me some weird stuff that they've seen uh, growing up Pentecostal, particularly the speaking in tongues interpretation. That was always a weird thing for me. Have you heard of that? I have. I actually had a high school teacher who asked if she could pray for me, probably mm -hmm. not following proto there, but yeah. whatever. I said, go ahead. And about halfway through, she starts going with the and I'm just like, whoa, okay. And that was the first time I actually heard it in person. I thought it was just a myth up until that point, but yeah, it gave me chills. Well, I can say this about speaking in tongues, regardless if it's real or not, the majority of it is fake. So there, there may be a, a real phenomenon. I think it's the intent behind it, just like with anything else. Yeah, there's absolutely. Yeah. I think there's a real phenomenon of speaking in tongues, um, possession, uh, being under the influence of other spirits, things like that. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Either way, it can still bring the manifestation that you're aiming for. Growing up, I witnessed a lot of fake speaking in tongues. Like they it would just be like preachers or somebody talking where they would just be like preaching. And then in between their words, they'll just go like, like out of nowhere, just pretending that they got some insane revelation. Exactly. They just throw it out and you would get used to the gibberish that certain people would speak. And then you would hear them repeat their same lines again at different times. Oh, like it was a canned thing. Oh yeah. It was like their own lingo that they came up with it. And they repeated all those lines over and over again. I imagine a pastor just driving to church and just rehearsing what he's going to say in tongues. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> Getting the syllables down and everything. <laughs> in the shower, just washing his ass, just <laughs> coming up with gibberish. Hell yeah, it's like the modern day Gregorian chant. I love it. <laughs> my favorite growing up was me and my cousins and friends, we would make fun of it. And our favorite was, uh, he stole my Honda. <laughs> Should have bought a Honda. That was another one. Oh yeah, I like that one. Yeah, Shonda Mahonda. I don't know why, I don't know where Shonda Mahonda came from. I think we used to say that when we were cold, we would go, ooh, Shonda Mahanda. <laughs> nice, nice. My grandpa used to say, woo, Gassimati. I think that means like God Almighty, but maybe he was speaking tongues. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, there's. I've definitely seen my fair share of, of fake speaking in tongues, which I would say is 99.9% .9 of it. I never did personally myself. I don't really understand it. But what I was actually referring to was tongues interpretation. It's a different thing. It's where... One person will speak in tongues and then another person will attempt to interpret what they're saying into English. Weird. This is very, very controversial and very – it lends itself to all kinds of manipulation and just illegitimate doctrine and blasphemy, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I think there are some linguists that might raise an eyebrow to that. Oh, yeah. What would happen, and I've seen this happen in multiple churches, different services, 
uh, different people. A lot of times it would be like the pastor's wife and then the pastor would uh, interpret whatever she said. So it would get really quiet in the church and she would just speak up and start like speaking in tongues. And then after she was done, he would interpret everything that that she was saying. And I've seen this happen multiple times, but it's I, I just remember sitting next to my friend and just looking at each other the first time it happened being like, this is fake, right? And he's like, yeah, this is weird, man. It's the pastor and his wife. And let me guess, the pastor was always right. And the wife was like, yes, that's, that's exactly what it meant. Or did she not know? Or I imagine she wouldn't know. Yeah, because she was under the spell or whatever. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's I right. don't know. And I, I, again, nothing, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Pentecostals. The majority of my family is still Pentecostal. I'm talking about the, uh, I'm talking about the, the misbehaving ones. Mm-hmm, the naughty ones. Yeah. I respect all religions. I respect your right to and your beliefs. Yeah. I live around a bunch of Mormons. I, th- I think they're great. They've been kind to me. So it's all good. But yeah, a lot of weird things do happen in Pentecostal churches, and I'm sure they do in all different religions. I remember multiple people telling me about this service that they were at. It was like a combined service with different churches within the uh, section in, of the religion in California. And they were talking about how somebody was like under the spirit or talking in tongues or getting the Holy Ghost, whatever you want to call it. And they started puking snakes. Like literal snakes. Like literal snakes. They said they started throwing up snakes. And snakes is always like associated with radical evangelical type Christians. You know, they have right, like, right. like, like Tammy was saying, she she wasn't, but there are those Pentecostals that have like snake handling services. I don't, I don't get that. I need to look into that because that's really interesting. My best guess would be just as a metaphor to the Bible, the whole serpent tempting Eve or something like that. And they're showing, Hey, I can handle the devil. And then of course, some of them get bit and die, but yeah. I'm going to look into that. That's an interesting one. But yeah, I heard about somebody puking snakes. I also remember a sermon when the pastor or the person preaching wanted to say, don't let sin wrap its tentacles around you. But he said, don't let sin wrap its testicles around you. Ooh. And nobody laughed. Everybody just like pretended like it didn't happen, but it was very obvious that he said testicles. Yeah, too late for that. That was the highlight of my entire Pentecostal experience. Nice, nice. Yeah. I remember I once talked to my youth pastor about Christian science, mm. Christian scientists. He basically got really upset and he was all, well, God made doctors. So what the hell is their problem? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was a real one. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, but we got some good stories this week. Uh, That twin dream one was a little wild. Yeah, it made me curious, and I did a little bit of more digging on that whole thing. There was a psychotherapist by the name of Marjorie Runyon, who is also an identical twin, and she wrote her dissertation about twins sharing dreams. She mentions one set of twins having the same recurring nightmare involving a tornado, which I also found interesting because we featured a story Mm -hmm. where the author sees tornadoes perhaps representing impending doom of sorts. Mm -hmm. Not too sure about it, but interesting nonetheless. And she also talks about one twin dreaming about telling their sibling that she was not getting married. Sorry about that. (laughs) But the cool thing is the other twin had the same dream in which she received the news from her sister. Whoa. And the one I found the most interesting, I don't have that many details on it, but... She mentions twins who reported experiencing the same dreams from two points of view while sleeping side by side, just like the author did in her dream that she shared with her twin. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't have anything to say. No, 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 no. That was good. That was, I liked that. (laughs) 
you know, the more I dive into this dream thing, the more I'm convinced that dreaming isn't just dreaming. We are literally connecting with a different reality or a different level of consciousness. There's an alternate dimension. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, it's too much. There's too much anecdotal evidence and crazy stories. The One of the books I'm reading right now, I'm trying to read as many books on uh, Audible as possible. But what I'm reading right now is A Field Guide to Lucid Dreaming, Mastering the Art of This Word That I Can't Pronounce. It's a really cool book. It's mostly like teaching you how to lucid dream, which... The basics are out there on the internet, but it goes into far more detail and it's a little more encouraging and simplistic. And I actually learned a few things from it, but dream synchronization, going into other people's dreams, right? Like it happens and people can corroborate these stories. There's no way, there's no way it's just dreaming, man. I don't think so. I've actually been reading a book called Beyond Dreaming by Gene Hart Mm -hmm. and it touches on lucid dreaming a bit. But mostly it taps into how to be able to astral project, which I really want to be able to do. And I got really close. I had the whole electric vibrating sensation, Mm -hmm. but then my dog barked and woke me up. So that sucked. But I'm going to try again. And in the book, he talks about that a lot as far as entering the astral plane, so to speak. And it's very convincing. I highly recommend it. It's four bucks on Kindle. So, yeah, give it a shot. You might have better luck than me. You obviously put the dog down after that, right? Of course, of course, gently. (laughs) And by put it down, I mean just roll him over and rub his belly. Yeah, roll him over and then gently set him on the floor. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm very much into the astral projection stuff, as everybody knows by now, but I'm happy that you're diving into it as well. I want to get that book myself and dive into that one. Absolutely. Robert Monroe's book is next on my list. And it's referenced because I've read this is like the second book I've read on it. And they mm-hmm. both have referenced Robert Monroe's book. So I should probably get to the source first. But I like to jump ahead. Well, yeah, but this one opened the door for you. Like this one is what spurred it. It did. It did. And it's very bite sized. It's like like you said, a Goosebumps book as far as page length goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to get that one. Um, you know what? Uh, twins. I was just thinking about this as I was listening to that story. Remember, like, in the 90s, those stupid bro comedies where the guy would always be like, twins, whenever they would find two hot women. Yeah, like, come on, dude. And, like, that was, like, the cool thing, like, that, that they were twins. That's that's really weird, first of all. The fetishization of twins has always been so weird to me. Siblings, dude. But what's weirder for me, and I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody that has done this before. If you have, please write in and share your experience. Twins marrying twins. I think I can make sense of that because hear me out. Yeah. The twins are very similar people. And if one twin meets somebody else who has a twin and they're into that person, there's a good chance their counterpart twins may also be into each other. Hmm. Yeah. They they may be into each other, but the decision to like, cross that line and be like, I'm going to marry my brother's sister-in-law. And then I'm going to have kids that are going to be what nephew brothers. I don't know. I don't know. Every, nephew, cousin, brother, oh, sisters. Oh, that is true. Yeah. yeah Cause they're yeah. like both cousins, but also, I, I don't know. I don't know how it works. I don't want to do the math, but if you, if you are twins that married twins, please write in and let us know your experience and what spurred 
that decision? Because that's super interesting to me. You know what? I think we've got to make a twin app if there isn't one already. You make your profile with your brother or sister and you upload the picture together. I was going to say, you just have to upload one picture since you look alike and just say, hey, you know, we both look like this. So that way only one twin can do it. Don't worry. He looks just like me. Yeah. Like, don't worry, sis, I got this. Or just take a mirror selfie and call it good. (laughs) That lends itself to a lot of uh, interesting catfish stories where you would show up without your brother or sister and be like, oh, they, they, uh, they couldn't make it. I was just thinking that. Yeah, yeah. Just photoshopped two of you in a picture. Just because you wanted to go on a date with twins because you were that weird guy from the 90s comedy all grown up. Yep, with your Jinko jeans and all. Well, anyways, before we head out of here, I wanted to mention that we do have some more stickers available. Some of you may have seen the whole Instagram post. Um, You can get more information on there. And yeah, just let us know if you want some. Send us a DM with your address. They are $4 up front, $2 if you're kind enough to leave a written Apple Podcasts review. Or if you just want to sign up for Patreon for one month, it's five bucks. You'll get a free sticker and you can cancel. Please don't, but you can. You'll still get a sticker. So consider it. Yeah, I'm excited that you're uh, willing to do all this sticker work for us. It's a sticky situation, I must say. (laughs) Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, This week you have heard Backseat Smile by Tate C. Twinning by Courtney. I'm five or seven. Please be careful by Victoria. A Brazilian story by Thais. My early childhood was spent with an evil spirit by Renee, old battleground stroll by Samantha, and finally a Pentecostal church experience by Tammy. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of the respective authors. Make sure you send your stories to stories at oddtrails.com to hear them on the show. We love reading through all of the submissions. And don't forget to sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash oddtrails for ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience. Finally, don't forget to check out my other podcasts at crypticcountypodcasts.com. Shows like Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast, Welcome to Paradise It Sucks, and the Old Time Radio Cast. Or you can just search wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next week. Stay safe. Peace out.